Thank you for listening to this podcast brought to you by Reach Life Church in Asheville, North Carolina. Our mission is changing life by making, growing, and unleashing gospel-centered disciples of Jesus. For more information, resources, or to connect with us online, visit www.reachlifechurch.org. This morning we're going to be in Matthew chapter 25. We're going to be looking at the parable of the ten virgins. And for the next three weeks, we plan to do a mini-series that we've entitled, Be Prepared. Show yourselves to be ready. And this week, I'm going to be preaching about the ten virgins. Next week, I plan to teach on the parable of the talents. And then the following week, Pastor Terry plans to preach on the sheep and the goats. If you'll notice, that is chapter 25, Matthew chapter 25. So if you want to be following us, you want to know where we're headed, it's going to be for the next three weeks in, the, in Matthew chapter 25. And as we study these three passages, I believe it's going to become very clear how much the Lord loves us, that he cares about us enough, that he's concerned about us, that he wants us to be prepared for his return, for his second coming. I don't know if this is true or not, but I feel like when I was younger and when I was growing up in the church, we talked a lot more about the second coming of Jesus Christ. I don't know if that's true or not, but it feels like it. And I don't think we've, we can talk about it too much. And so I want to, as we head into the new year, I want to spend some time looking at this extremely important topic. And, you know, it's, it's funny how things in life can trigger memories when you were a child. Have you ever had that? Like a certain smell brings back a certain feel or a memory or a song, you know, like the glory of love from Karate Kid 3, <laughs> summer of 1986, man, I can just feel it, right? Um, or going home and seeing a, a Christmas ornament. And it just, I saw one this year at my parents' house. And it just reminded me of all these feelings and uh, emotions that I had when I was a, a child. And this passage that we're going to be in today, being prepared, triggered a memory in my childhood that I had kind of forgotten. I had forgotten, or don't think about it a lot, but I had forgotten that I used to be a Boy Scout. Now, I don't know if being a Boy Scout is once a Boy Scout, always a Boy Scout, but I, I started in Cub Scouts, went to Weeblos, We Be Loyal Scouts, right? And went to be a Boy Scout. And I remember that the, the reason this triggered in my mind because the motto for the Boy Scouts is what? Be prepared, right? Uh, Robert Baden Powell was an English soldier who founded the Boy Scouts back in 1910. And in his uh, scouting book, called Scouting for Boys, Baden-Powell wrote that to be prepared means, this is what it means, you are always in the state of readiness in mind and body to do your duty. I like that part where it says you're always in a state of readiness. That's what it means to be prepared. And as a Boy Scout, are there any other fellow Boy Scouts in this room? Okay. As a Boy Scout, I got to second class. Okay, that's not impressive if you're, if you're a Boy Scout. Boy Scout. Was anybody in here a, an Eagle Scout? 
Can you stand? We want to, I want to just, he, this dude. Good job. Good. Anybody else want to be embarrassed? He's like, he wasn't prepared for that, but to be prepared is to be uh, in a state of readiness. And I loved, I was in troop 53, I think it was 53, maybe it was 54. But anyway, we went to like Camp Daniel Boone, and I learned how to tie uh, knots. The one I remember, it's a square knot. It's right over left, left over right. If you are a Boy Scout, you know what I'm talking about. We learned to build TP fires and log cabin fires. And one of my favorite things that I still remember that we did was we would take tin foil and we would take a hunk of hamburger meat, put it in the, the tin foil, and then put uh, vegetables and stuff in it, seal it up, and then you put it in the coals of the campfire. Man, when you're camping, when you're backpacking, boy, that is, anything tastes good out there on the trail. And I remember doing scout packs. But the point of what I'm trying to get at is that the scout motto is be prepared, always being in a state of readiness. And that's basically what our passage is about today in Matthew 25. But before we get there, before we get to chapter 25, I want to back up a chapter and kind of give a little bit of context about what's going on. The disciples are having a conversation with Jesus, and they're asking him questions about the future. And one of the questions they ask is they say, what will be the sign of your coming? When, when you're about to become king, when you're about to, they're not thinking about him coming back from heaven, but when you're about to become king, what is going to be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? They, they're like saying, we don't want to miss it. We want to be prepared. And so Jesus takes chapter 24, basically, and begins to give some warnings. He says, um, before I return, there are going to be many false Christs, many people who say that they are the king. They're going to lead many astray. Beware of them. He says there's going to be wars and famines and uh, earthquakes, which will be the beginning of birth pains. He also warns that if you are my follower, you're going to be hated by this world, and some of you will be put to death. Jerusalem is going to be trampled on for a season by the Gentiles. That's actually the season that we're in right now. And there will be great tribulation on the earth. This doesn't sound like a, a wonderful picture, does it? Between the time he comes back. And then in verse chapter, in chapter 24, verse 30, Jesus says, then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man. You'll, you'll look up and the Son of Man will be in the clouds. Look, he says, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn. And they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send out his angels with a loud trumpet call. And they will gather his elect from the four winds, from one end of, the, of heaven to the other. And then in verse 44... And this is where we get the title for our series. Therefore, you also must be ready. That word ready also means to be prepared. You, you must also be prepared for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Now notice in these verses that there are two types of people. There are mourners and there are rejoicers. It says that the tribes of the earth will mourn. Why? 
because they're not ready for him. They don't want him to come back. They've been living in rebellion while the elect will rejoice because he's come back to get them. They have been prepared. And so this morning I have two questions that I want to address, just two. And the first question is this, what does it mean to be prepared? I want to keep it very simple this morning. What does it mean to be prepared? Everybody in this room, I hope, will wake up. And I want to be honest with you, as I, as I began to study this passage, I was kind of sluggish. But as I've begun to think about the things that are in this passage, it's begun to wake me up. So if you're asleep right now, I want to encourage you by the Holy Spirit to, to waken up. The question I want us to ask uh, be, to understand is what does it mean to be prepared? And number two, how can we be prepared? Not just know what it means, but how can we be prepared? So let's look at our, uh, our passage this morning in chapter 25, beginning with verse 1. Then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them. But the wise took flasks of oil with their lamps. Now, it's interesting. Interesting to see that Jesus is being culturally relevant and relatable to those who are listening to him. Every person listening to him would understand a Jewish marriage. Um, and a Jewish marriage would begin with a marriage covenant known as the betrothal. We talked a little bit about this with Joseph and Mary. They were betrothed to be married. Well, I'm going to give you a little bit more information about that this morning. Basically, the, the groom would leave his father's house and go to the house of the pers pers prospective, the girl that he liked. <laughs> and he would go there to that, all right, I'm going to speak in our language, all right. So he would go to the gal, and he would talk to the dad. And they would negotiate this price, right? And it's called a, a, a bride price or a dowry and, uh, and he would give that dowry to the, the dad, and they would enter into a covenant with each other. A marriage covenant would be established. And the groom would then go back to his father's house and leave the bride for about a year, and he would prepare a place for them to dwell. And then he would come back for her in about a year, unannounced, and get her. Now, while he was gone... The bride and her bridesmaids would spend time getting ready for the wedding. It was probably a very, like many of our marriages, it was very an exciting time looking forward to it. And it, this is a beautiful picture for us, isn't it? Right now, if you are in Christ, if you are his bride... We're in the betrothal period. We have not yet had the wedding ceremony. That's coming. Jesus came, left his father. He came to earth to seek out a bride, and he paid the dowry. He paid for her. He paid off all her debts. How? With his blood. And his point 
In doing that was to be able to have a, a clean bride to take back with him later, and so that we would fall in love with him, and that we would know that he loves us. And that's, that's the period that we're in right now. And while he's gone, listen, church, while Jesus is gone, we are to be preparing ourselves for his return. And verse 5 says, as the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and slept. Okay, that's where some of us are this morning. They all got drowsy and slept. I'm not going to put you to sleep this, this morning on purpose. But notice what Jesus is teaching here. He's teaching that his return is not going to be immediate. And sometimes, doesn't that feel like it's never going to happen? Those of us that have been walking with the Lord for a long time, it can feel like Jesus is never going to return. Sometimes I have to ask myself, how often do I even think about his return? And there are, there are those who mock because they find it unbelievable that we could teach and believe that there's going to be a man riding on this white horse in the, in the clouds and come back for us. They mock us. But I want you to, to understand something. That's nothing new to be mocked about that. In, first, in 2 Peter 3, look what 2 Peter wrote 2,000 years ago. Scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. They will say, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow to, to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you. And this is what I love about the heart of our God, not wishing that any would. Not wishing that any would. That is good news, isn't it? But that all should reach repentance, should reach. It's kind of like there's a flood coming and there's a mountain. He's wanting all of us to seek safety to him, to reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. Thieves do not, pretty much, do not call your house and say, hey, I'm on my way, do they? Have you ever had something stolen from you? It's usually after the thief is gone that you realize that my guitar is gone. But the day of the Lord will come. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. And then the heavens will pass away with a roar. And the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved. And the earth and the works that are, in, that are done in it will be exposed. Everything will come to light. Verse 11 says, since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what? Here's a great question. Since this is all going to be destroyed at some point, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness waiting, waiting, waiting for the hastening, the coming of the day of God? So just like the Jewish groom would leave 
the bride and go to his father and prepare a place. Jesus came to us, paid the price. He's left, gone to be with the father. And he says, but I'm coming back for you. Verse 6 says, but at midnight there was a cry. Here is the bridegroom. Come out to meet him. So, okay, after adequate um, preparations had been made by the groom, the groom would call his best man and other male escorts, and together they would leave their, his father's house and make their way to the bride's home. And if it was night, they would take a torch-lit procession, and the groom would send a messenger ahead of him who would be crying out the entire time, Behold, the bridegroom is coming. Behold, the bridegroom is coming. Guess what, guys? That's what we should be proclaiming right now as ambassadors of Jesus, isn't it? Behold, the bridegroom is coming. And so the entire village would come out. If it's at night, they would come out with their lamps, and they would uh, accompany the couple to the groom's home where the wedding ceremony would be. And there they would have, we don't know, listen, we don't know how to really party and uh, celebrate. I'm sorry, I'm in the church. We don't know how to celebrate, do we? We don't party here unless it's a birthday party. Celebrate. They, we, you know, typically if you have a, a, a reception for three hours, it's like, man, we killed it, right? They would do it for seven days. That's why in, in John chapter 2, when it says uh, the, the wine ran out, it ran out after several days, right? Um, it was not, okay, so that's another discussion. <laughs> they would celebrate. You would want to be a part of this celebration. And one day, listen, there will be the midnight cry when the messenger of the Lord will appear and he will cry out, behold, the bridegroom, come out and meet him. And listen, whether you believe that's going to happen or not, it will happen. And we will all get the opportunity to stand before the bridegroom. Jesus said it himself in John chapter 5. We, we went over this several months ago when we were in the book of John. He says, do not marvel at this. For an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs, all who are in their graves, will hear his voice, will hear Jesus' voice, and come out. And those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. We all will stand before the bridegroom. And the question that we need to be asking ourselves, listen, the question you need to be asking yourself right this minute is, when the bridegroom comes, when you are called out to meet him, will you be prepared? If he were to come right this minute, are you prepared? Because this is the point of this parable. Prepared or unprepared. And listen, Jesus loves us so much that he gives us this opportunity right now to take inventory of our lives. Are we prepared to meet with him? Because, listen, he doesn't want to punish us. When, when, sometimes when you read these passages, you can have this feeling of he's just wanting to come and just crush us. No. That's why he came the first time, to be punished for us. He wants us to enjoy the wedding feast that's about to take place. That's why this parable is here. 
Let's look at verse 7. Then all those virgins rose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, Since there will not be enough for us and for you, go rather to the dealers and buy for yourselves. In other words, the wise said, No, we're not going to give you our oil. There won't be enough. Verse 10 says, And while they were going to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready, those who were prepared, went in with him to the marriage feast, and the door was shut. Afterward, the other virgins, the unwise virgins, came also saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered, Truly I say to you, I do not know you. Watch, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. Now I want to ask a, a couple of questions here about this parable. Number one is this, what does the oil represent? As I have been studying this, some scholars, I've seen three, basically three different answers. Some believe that it's um, desire to serve the Lord, passion and desire to serve the Lord. Others believe that it represents true faith, and while others would say the Holy Spirit. And I, tip, I have a, a view that it's probably all three of them, that it's, it's actually... Uh, represents an overall picture of someone's life. Did you live your life passionately in, with true faith in Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit? That's how I would, would see this, uh, this, the oil. And the five virgins, the five wise ones had it, but the five foolish did not. And notice that when the wise virg virgins are asked to share their oil, notice what they say. They say, no. Right, Luke? No. They say, no, there's not enough for you and me. Basically, what they're saying is, we're not going to miss out on this wedding feast. We got ready, and we're not going to miss out. You got to go and get your own. And this teaches us two things. Number one, that wise disciples have a saving faith that has an attitude. Wise disciples have an attitude, a faithful, a, an attitude in their faith. Now, it might look like they're being selfish, but that's not what's happening here. What is happening here is the wise disciples understand what's at stake here. We're talking about eternity. If I miss this part, I'm going to miss eternity with my Savior. And I will not allow anyone, the attitude says, I will not allow anyone or anything to come in the way of me and the bridegroom. I'm going to be a part of that feast. Now, it doesn't mean that the bride, that, that, the, uh, that we aren't inviting people. We're always inviting people. But we're first and foremost making sure that we are prepared Secondly, it shows us that saving faith is not transferable, okay? Your faith is not transferable. You cannot give your faith to somebody else, and you can't borrow somebody else's faith. Your parents, your spouse, your best friend, they may love Jesus with a passion, but that is not credit to you. 
That is credit to them. Their faith will save them. And you must have your own faith. Being associated with a pastor or a church or an awesome ministry will not give you access to the bridegroom. We have to go straight to him and have a relationship with him. So what does it mean to be prepared? Well, let me begin by explaining what it doesn't mean, okay? Now, there are certain types of personalities in this room. We're all different. But there are some people in this room who would be like me when I was younger who have a John the Baptist mentality. You're just passionate, right? You want to go out and, and eat locusts and wild honey and just, you know, lay it all down and just burn out for Jesus, right? Even though you don't know what that means, you want to do that, right? <laughs> and in a few, about three weeks, I'm hoping to uh, plan to, to tell my full testimony of how I burned out, okay, in uh, mine and Kelly's uh, separation and all that. But some of you this morning, you think, if you're like me, you think that being prepared means that you sell everything you got, you shave your head bald like a monk, you go up and live on a, a, a mountain and in isolation, reading your Bibles 24-7, waiting for the Lord, you know. So passionate, right? But so foolish, okay? That is not, and trust me, I know that is not the way to do it, okay? I, we'll find out later why. That is not the way to do it. Verse 5, let's look at verse 5. It says, as the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and slept. I want to focus in on the, the part drowsy and slept. They all became drowsy and slept. Now, why is that in there? Were the wise virgins unwise? Were they unfaithful? Well, I like what John Piper says about this. He says, it is not foolish to sleep. All ten slept, not just the foolish. This is not sleeping on the job of life. Sleeping is part of the job. What sleeping signifies in this parable is simply the ordinary activities of life. We are called to do our work, then rest, then do some more work. All ten slept because sleep is, a, is part of the normal rhythm of life that we should follow as we work and rest and wait for Jesus. So being prepared doesn't necessarily mean being all radical. Chapter 24, the chapter before this one, verse 40 says, Then two men will be in the field working. Two men will be in the field working, doing the same thing. One will be taken, the other will be left. Two women will be grinding grain at the mill, doing the same thing. One will be taken, one will be left. In other words, we are to live ordinary lives with those around us while we are waiting for Christ to return. But on the other hand, being prepared, it doesn't mean being crazy man or crazy woman, but it also doesn't mean getting so comfortable here that you forget about the kingdom. It doesn't mean that you, you know, follow your dreams, live a life of self-indulgence, and make peace with the world. Now, we do want to be relatable, 
We do want to be relatable with the world. There's been so many of us Christians who have been unnecessarily awkward in life, okay? It's, we need to learn to talk and to, to dress in relatable ways that are godly. But there is a danger of becoming so relevant and so relatable and so comfortable with this world that we actually, in truth, what we're doing is we're loving the world. We're losing our saltiness. We're becoming what Jesus calls lukewarm. And in, the words, uh, in other words, we are becoming sluggish and eternally unprofitable. So we've got to be careful that we don't go to another extreme. So how can I make certain that I'm prepared? Um, that is the question as I was studying this passage that I have been asking myself. I ask myself this. Um, I think it's important that we ask ourselves these questions from time to time. Not necessarily dwell on them, but we need to make sure we're on the right path. Because in this, uh, in this parable, there were five who were prepared and five who were not. But they all thought they were going to the wedding feast. But they did not all get to enter in. And my question to, that I've been asking myself is why? What made them prepared? Well, I believe the, the answer is very simple. And it's in this passage. It's, it's actually in uh, verse 12. It says, When the virgins, the unwise, came and said, Lord, Lord, open to us. It, Verse 12 says, but he answered, truly I say to you, here's why you're not prepared. I do not know you. That's it. I do not know you. Being prepared is entirely, 100%, without exception, all about relationship. Not about what you do, but about who you know. A hundred percent. And so if you want to be a part of the wedding feast, I know that everyone in this room wants to be a part of that wedding feast. Then it's all about who you know. And there's only one person you need to know. And that is the bridegroom. Listen, there will be no wedding crashers in heaven. If you know the groom... You're in. If you don't, you're out. It's that simple. So how do you know the groom? How do you come to know the groom? You come to know the groom by first coming to know what he did for you. That he loves you. That he paid a price because he wants you to marry him. But how do you know if you've truly come to him and believe that? Titus 2, chapter 2, 11 through 14. This is a great litmus test for a believer. It says, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. It teaches us, pay attention to this, listen. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. 
while we what? While we wait. There's this picture of our parable. While we wait for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself, here's the gospel, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness. And do you, do you, do you want to know what Jesus is wanting? It's, it's coming right now. To purify for himself a people that are his very own. Jesus, God, wants a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. Jesus desires, in, uh, desires, Jesus desires, in other words, for his bride to be his bride. Y'all get that? He wants the heart of his bride to be on him. To be prepared means that your heart belongs to Jesus. Your spirit is awake and alive. And it, when it comes to Jesus and his kingdom, you're all in. You're holding nothing back. Everything you have is his, is from him, and is his. You are his, and you are waiting for his return. And as you wait, as you wait, you are eager to live a life of obedience for his name's sake. And my question that I have to ask myself and that you need to ask yourself is, does your life show that you know Jesus? Does your life show it? Not just what we say, but by the fruit of our lives. And Titus 2 basically says that if you truly are his, there's something in you that says no to ungodliness and worldly passions. There's something in you that is at war with that. It doesn't mean that you're perfect and that you never fail, but there is at least this war going on. And secondly, you desire to live a self-controlled and upright godly life. And so this morning, listen, if you find obeying Jesus burdensome, you think it's just a bunch of rules and, and you want to get out from under that, then probably one of two things is going on. Number one, it may be that you truly are not yet his bride. It may be that you said yes to his proposal, but while he's gone, you've been unfaithful and are just playing the field. Okay? It may be that you've never bowed your knee. You may have a lamp, but it's empty. It's, it's religion. It's not filled with the oil of passion and desire and love for Christ. So that might be who you are this morning. Number two, it could be that you do know Jesus. Your lamp does have oil in it, but you're feeling sluggish and unmoved this morning by the, by the truths that I'm preaching, honestly. That's where you're at. The sacrifice of Jesus on the cross when we're singing about it, it really doesn't, you know, <clears throat> bring that joy. And his return, it doesn't even seem like a real thing. It produces no joy in your soul. That might be where you are this morning. If, and if that is, it's probably, listen, it's probably because you're distracted by something. Your eyes have, have shifted away from Jesus to something else. Jesus talks about, calls it, you've left your first love. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. 
prone to leave the God I love. What do you do when you're in that place this morning, guys? You turn back. You confess it. Lord, I, I confess. I don't have that passion for you right now. I, I'm yours, but, but I'm dead right now. Here's my heart, Lord. Take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. You know, if you're in one of those two camps, the answer is, is always the same. Come back to Jesus. Come to Jesus for the first time or come back to him. You know, it, it dawned on me that I'm never going to be able to be an Eagle Scout. It's impossible. Uh, at age 18, that's the end. If you didn't do your duty to God and your country back then, you will never be an Eagle Scout. No matter how much I cry and say, please, my shirt still fits, it doesn't matter. <laughs> but you know, there also comes a time when um, it's too late to respond to the bridegroom. There will come a time when the bridegroom will come and those who are prepared will go in with him to the marriage feast and enjoy our Savior, enjoy one another unending, enjoy a city, we'll enjoy work with our hands, things that God may not have allowed you to do in this life. He'll say, you trusted me. Here, do it here. And there will be no frustration. There will be no sluggishness. It'll be joy and worship forever. But the door will be shut. And those who procrastinated or who decided they wanted something else, they will not enter. And we need to understand that Jesus is dying, that everyone would respond to this invitation. Better yet, that Jesus died so that we would respond to this invitation. And so I want to encourage all this morning, myself included, to take these words to heart. To take the words of Jesus to heart. Make sure that you have oil in your lamp. And that you would make knowing Jesus your top priority in 2019. Because if you do, there will be no regrets and you'll be prepared to enter into the joy of the marriage feast of the bridegroom. Amen? Amen. Amen.